Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You are listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. Topically yours on the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. I'm your host, Deirdre Schuler, and my guest today is Reverend Herbert Daughtry. The Reverend has authored several books, which include No Monopoly on Suffering, Blacks and Jews in Crown Heights and Elsewhere, My Beloved Community, and Seize the Future, among others. He's the pastor of Global Ministries, National Presiding Minister of the House of the Lord Churches, Chairman Emeritus of the National Black United Front and President of the African People's Christian Organization at L. Throughout his life, Reverend Dortry has been involved in civil rights, union services, 
cessation of police brutality as well as the cessation of, cessation of war and nuclear disarmament. He's a proponent of environmental protections and is working on ways to provide employment in his community. Well, the list goes on, and thus Reverend Darty's tireless work has earned him the title of the people's pastor. Reverend Darty has quite the extensive resume, so rather than go on and on, I will simply welcome him to the show and let him tell us what is his current what he is currently engaged in. So welcome to the show, Reverend Herbert Darty. Yes, thank you, Miss Jula. I honored I am to be present and thank you again for the invite. Well, we have a number of issues. We uh, completed the trial of Panther Leo, who uh, was responsible for the chokehold death of Eric Garner. Uh, concluded the, the police trial. He was exonerated by a grand jury, and uh, he was put on trial uh, for the violation of police procedure. And the trial concluded last week. It was a terrifying or a terrible ordeal watching the film play over and over again. As you know, it was captured on film, on video, um, by a bystander. And the actual could see his being struggled with the police and being brought down and chokehold. Well, that's one case. And then in, in, with a in addition to the, the uh, criminal justice system, um, we have been involved in the reentry program. We're very much concerned with uh, how people return to the community. So for years we have had what I considered one of the most effective uh, reentry program. As we uh, reentry program uh, is the Lazarus Douglas Tugman reentry program, and we provide uh, references for people coming home uh, with jobs. Now, when you say reentry program, are you talking about people that have been in prison coming back into the community? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Okay. And we help them to get adjusted. And uh, been active with the Central Park case. As you know, uh, with the movie out, uh, it has revived interest in, in some quarters, criticism. And we had a press conference last week on the uh, DA Cyrus Vance uh, to reopen the case in the, with a view toward others being railroaded, other innocent people being railroaded. And maybe some are even out of jail now but have never received any uh, recognition for their having been wrongfully convicted. We've been involved with Weeksville. Weeksville is a, is a community that uh, attempts to recapture the years of our enslavement, and it, is, it has run out of money, and we're trying to get the city and whoever else to fund it, to keep it alive. It is vitally important uh, for our history. In addition to that, uh, we are involved in uh, the scholarship program, one of the most unique program, scholarship programs, I think, in existence. In 1976, 
a young lad named Randy Evans, 15 years old, who was shot in the head by a police officer named Robert mm. Tosner for no reason at all. The following year, the jury acquitted the officer on an insanity charge. We were outraged. The community was furious. So we organized boycotts of the city and business community, and we asked them to establish the Randy Evans Memorial Scholarship. We have been giving $1,500 to 10 college-bound students every for the last 40 years. This is the 40th wow. anniversary of uh, the Red. Yeah, it is amazing that we've been able to sustain this program. I said at the time, uh, you know, there were other youth that had been killed by the police. In 1972, Ricky Borden, he was 11. In 1973, um, Clifford Glover, he was uh, 10 shot in the back. In 1974, Claude Reese was 15. And so when Randy was killed, I said that we're going to perpetuate his memory forever. And so we established uh, this scholarship uh, to uh, continue uh, his memory. We don't want it ever to be forgotten that this kid, for no reason, was shot in the head on Thanksgiving, by the way, November 1976. So we do, this is, we're getting ready on November, or June the 22nd is when we do the annual Randolph Evans Memorial Scholarship Luncheon, and we award the uh, scholarship money to the, uh, to the uh, recipients, to awardees. And then we have another scholarship program. This one was in the memory of Brent Duncan. He was an 18-year-old kid who was on his way to college, Morehouse College, had been accepted at Morehouse. He went out to a party, birthday party of a friend, and he was killed. His mother couldn't believe it when she was told that your son is in the city mall. She said, no, my son is in the next room. She went to look. He was gone. And again, I I always believe that uh, these incidents are so devastating. and I've found in the last 60 years that the, the, is to get the, the, the loved ones involved in trying to prevent the very uh, thing that caused them the pain. So we try to involve the, the, the loved one in scholarship programs, in marches, demonstrations, in trying to fight for justice. And uh, so this is the fifth year for Brett Duncan. He was killed in the community. So Randy was killed by the police. Uh, Brent was killed by uh, gun violence in the community. And then we've been very much concerned about Darfur. You know, we were involved. I went to uh, Chad. Couldn't get into Sudan about and, oh, what, 10, 15. In other words, in 2005, when Colin Powell declared that the Darfur's situation was one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world today. We became involved in it. I organized the national leaders of religious ancestry concerned about Darfur and made several trips to the refugee camps carrying uh, uh, various kinds of um, support. And so we marched, in fact, uh, against El Bashir, the president, as you know, has been removed now. But we marched from Belgium uh, to Hague, 
at the International Court uh, urging an indictment uh, of, of Mr. Bashir on crimes against humanity, a genocide, and war crimes. Uh, we have been in touch with all of the leaders. In fact, I was invited to Juba in South Sudan to meet with all of the leaders uh, of the, the Darfuri people as well as the South uh, all of the people who were involved in the resistance movement. And so we note now with concern that while El-Bashir is removed, the country is in turmoil. And we just hope and pray that uh, peace will come and that the country will be... Well, I know uh, you've been involved for decades with uh, the African liberation struggle, particularly in Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Angola, Nibia and South yes. Africa. Right. That, have you seen any results from from your efforts? Oh, well, by all means. Well, we go back to free South Africa, uh, free Mandela. Yes. I remember when we were in the streets screaming, free Mandela, free Mandela. South Africa. People <laughs> didn't know what we were talking about. In fact, People said you better be concerned about the South, the South America, be what's happening in the Southern USA. But we were marching, and in fact, all of my children—I have four children. I've been married 57 years now. I have four children, mm-hmm. and we all went to jail. Civil disobedience. Uh, I coordinated the jail going. People wanted to go to jail on the South Africa question. And so we went to jail, uh, took all my children and my wife, we all went to jail because I knew that eventually we were going to win this battle. And I wanted my family, particularly my children, uh, to have the memory of fighting for uh, an African country. And, and well, what did it feel like when you met Nelson and Winnie Mandela? Yeah, I was at the funeral. Winnie, Winnie, in fact, Winnie made her public first public statement here at our church in, what, 1991 when they uh, were freed, when Nelson was freed. Uh, I was a part of the welcoming committee uh, here in New York. Dave Dinkins was the mayor. And uh, so Winnie Mandela uh, made her first public statement here at the church, the House of the Lord Church. And my wife uh, coordinated with Julie Belafonte, Julie Belafonte, the wife of Harry Belafonte, uh, were the coordinators for the uh, Winnie Mandela's visit. And so, in fact, I was honored to be invited to both the funerals and participated in Nelson Mandela's funeral, uh, which was quite an honor, a sad honor, but nonetheless it was an honor, one that I will cherish, a memory I will cherish forever, there were only 17 ministers involved in the ceremony, only two from the USA, that Reverend Jesse Jackson and I, and then 15 <laughs> South African ministers participated in the actual burial. So uh, there were only 400 people uh, attending the burial of uh, Nelson Mandela uh, after we uh, had left the funeral where 4,000 people were invited and we walked to what maybe 50 yards up the hill in his ancestral home uh, where he was buried. So, yeah, to have lived to see Mandela free and and Winnie, uh, uh, South Africa free, 
although they have some criticism now, but nonetheless, he was free in South Africa, had free elections. And to see Zimbabwe, Joshua Nkomo uh, came to our church. We raised some money for him. He came to our church at Zapu, right, Zimbabwe African People's Union, which he headed. Uh, Robert Mugabe headed at Zanu, uh, African People's uh, National Union. And uh, Joshua Nkomo, the godfather of the Southern African Liberation Movement, came to our church in August of 1977, uh, and we presented him with the check that the people had raised uh, to uh, forward the movement uh, in Southern Africa. So, Let me ask you another question. Um, what What are your views on Black Lives Matter? You're talking about police brutality. Do you think that the strategy of Black Lives Matter has worked? By all means, I think that you have to do all the things. Well, I chaired the National Black United Front, which brought to uh, into one on, into an umbrella organization every kind, every the representation of every political, religious, philosophical thought in the uh, African diaspora. So we, uh, at that time, I would emphasize, let's don't try to absolutize the methodology, as I said. We do whatever we have to do uh, in order to um, achieve our objective. And, of course, one of them uh, was the end to police brutality, police violence. So we marched, demonstrated uh, civil disobedience, tied up the city. And one year, we jumped on the subway. Reverend Al Sharpton, by the way, who was our youth leader in Operation Breadbasket, which was Dr. King's economic arm of the movement, uh, he was the youth leader. And he told me, well, we're going to jump on the subway to track some time. I said, all right, I'm going to jump on with it. So we did what we have to do. There's nothing new about what Black Lives Matter are doing. Um, we, we've, as I said, uh, we've done it. I don't know how many. I think somebody has said that uh, we had the largest demonstrations in the Northeast. King, Dr. King, uh, had uh, huge marches in the south, in the south. But in the northern area, we had the thousands. We would gather. In fact, we marched about 10,000 into Wall Street, 1978. Arthur Miller had been killed in June 1978. He died from a chokehold, by the way. And he was a good man, community activist, but a businessman. And we decided uh, that we were going to tie up the city. And we marched people into Wall Street. That would have been November 1978. So we've been doing the demonstrations and challenging the uh, systems and uh, challenging the governments on national uh, and international issues. So Black Lives well, Matter, I applaud them for the, their activity. Well, the police brutality has risen, though, in, in, in America, and they constantly get off. So what are the churches doing to bring attention that to the fact that these murderous police continually get off? Yeah, uh, well, we got. We have to continue to to march, to demonstrate civil disobedience, 
to and politically be involved. When we are politically involved, we can change the political scene. We can change the uh, policies as it relates to uh, all of the system, but particularly the criminal justice system. Uh, we can judges will change, uh, police commissioners will change, uh, because in many instances these appointees come out of a political uh, background. They are appointed by various political politi political uh, persons. So that's one of the avenues uh, open to us. But I think that uh, uh, one thing is that it has been highlighted more now than before. Uh, when we mm -hmm. were calling attention to police brutality, we couldn't hardly get people to believe us. You know, we had the first year to convince the people, the, uh, the larger public, of course, that this was happening. We didn't have uh, social media. We didn't have video, like in the case with Eric Garner. I mean, the only reason why the case gained public attention is somebody was there to video what was actually happening. And so now we have the social media where they, you can actually video what is going on, and the police... Well, are all the churches involved? I mean, all the denominations, Jewish, Muslim, uh, Christian, are they all involved in doing something about police brutality? Is it a united effort? No. I, I would say only a relatively few uh, involved, but I think more now than before. We're not involved to the extent that we ought to be, uh, but uh, at least... Uh, we're more involved than we used to be, uh, uh, precisely because it is publicized more. But the larger society, the clergy, uh, let's break it down. Let's say the black clergy, white clergy, Jews, or whatever. Uh, as far as white clergy is concerned, and, and their parishioners are generally policemen. I mean, you know, let's face it, the, the policemen are sitting up in their congregation. And if not so, or in addition to being so, the relatives of police uh, are sitting in their congregation. So they have a closer relationship with uh, with the police than, say, black officers do. We, you know, we, we are, well, there are more black officers now than before, and I think that has helped in some sense. But uh, we don't... Whereas, as before, the white uh, officers were, you know, for an example, I've been involved in, a, in an Irish struggle with the Bel Belfast, Northern Ireland, uh, in the Irish struggle, and helped to make a film, The Black and the Green, which is going to be on review, by the way, Thursday. Um, and and so I... Where? I, uh, where? I, I wish I had... I don't have... I can tell you later. I don't have to information directly at my fingertip. I have it somewhere near. So if we, I can call you later and let you know where it's going to be. Okay. And uh, there'll be a discussion. But I was in Belfast. You know why? Because, again, of the oppression and the brutality in, 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 uh, in, in Ireland. And I, I subscribe to Dr. King's uh, observation uh, or statement that uh, you can't be against uh, injustice 
only in the South and not against injustice and oppression and, and, and enslavement. Everywhere. You know, right. So anyway, we had an alliance with the Irish community uh, that they were supportive of South Africa and we were supportive of Belfast. But I'll mention them because my criticism of the Irish community is that in, while I was in Belfast, I've never been treated so well. I mean, the hospitality there was mind-boggling. But in the USA, I've, and I've said this at Police Academy, Police Graduation, that Commissioner Kelly used to have at the Apollo. I don't know what happened to some of you Irish. I don't know if the racism in America get become infected in your body or something, your mind. Well, it's the desire to fit in. I interviewed uh, Bernadette Devlin, who is a tireless uh, fighter for Irish oh. rights. And That's she right. scolded the Irish. She scolded That's right. them saying, you suffered the same thing that black people are suffering in America, and then you dare come to America and become racist? Oh, I said in the reading why she scolded them. Oh, very good. I'm glad you told me that. I'm going to use that tomorrow night. I've forgotten that. Yeah, she gave, In fact, they gave her an award, and she gave it to the Black Panthers, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I they banned it from America. Yeah, she can't come I, to America now. I stayed in uh, uh, Belfast with a woman, stayed in the house with the woman whose husband had been killed by the British. And uh, as I said, I was, I, I met with Sinn Féin leaders, and we, in fact, I sat in Sinn Féin headquarters. Sinclair Boyne, I don't know if you knew him. He was a filmmaker, black filmmaker. Yes, yes. And, and, and I had he was been very buoyant. Yeah. And and uh, so he asked me to stay on with him while he made this film, and so he he filmed me with an interview with Sinn Fein headquarters, and I asked this young person. And by the way, they were dying of starvation in jail at the time as a protest. Bobby Sands was one of the first to go, and they asked me to come and to uh, memorialize him and to share with the, their struggles, which I did. And but I was in Sinn Fein headquarters, and this young Irish struggler asked. Uh, I asked him. I said, "Well, what are we going to do uh, with the Irish in America?" Some of some. I mean, so for our, for our listeners, let me underscore. I ain't talking about the whole Irish. I, I ain't over general. I'm talking about some Irish in America have adopted the racism that is prevalent in America. So what are you going to say to them? And he said. Uh, I guess pretty much what Bernadette had said. I mean, if they can't support our struggle here, then they don't need to. If they can't support the black struggle in America, they don't need to support our uh, struggle here in in Belfast now. Okay, when Donald Trump was on the campaign trail, he gave speeches wherein he encouraged violence, telling his supporters to knock people out and he would pay their fines. What are your thoughts about that, and do you think that kind of rhetoric encourages violence by police and white supremacists? Oh, I vehemently, with all the emphasis I can command, denounce that kind of verbiage, that kind of speaking, that kind of words, uh, especially, especially coming from uh, the president of, of a country here in, in America. In other words, the more prestigious, the more influential the leadership you are, the more responsible 
you need to be, understanding that your words carry enormous weight and influence. So the, his, 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 his behavior, his decorum, his, his verbiage, his, every, it just, it's so much about him uh, uh, I denounce and should be denounced uh, uh, vehemently. I think that he has encouraged uh, the racists to come forward. In, in a sense, though, I guess paradoxically, in some sense, uh, we can be grateful that he has pulled back the cover and mm-hmm. said to the racists to come forward. It's all right now. And we are witnessing how widespread uh, his support is. It really, I mean, after all, after after years of showing who this man is, his immoral, his uh, chicanery, his his uh, his his own Republican uh, uh, party uh, members have called him a pathological liar, a kook, a racist, a racist, a con man. Who support that? And yeah, and there are those who support that. And I I wrote an article, a series of articles, one in particular, which I argued that Trump is not on charge.